Our reading um, begins today in Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make you an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign, which will not be destroyed. Our reading continues in Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30, on page 977. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in the words of the psalm, in the words of Jesus himself, uh, that if we build our lives upon your words, we'll not be shaken when the storms of life come because your word is true. And because you are a powerful God who ensures that it is true. So, Father, please, this morning, help us understand it rightly. And indeed, then, that we would live it out so that we will not be shaken as we stand upon the truths of your word. Amen. And it would be wonderful if you turn back to Matthew chapter 11, which is where we're spending our time 
uh, this morning, and indeed over the last month or so. No, it's not true, is it? We started back in Matthew's Gospel last week. Uh, We were spending the next few weeks in uh, Matthew's Gospel. This section 11 to 13... Uh, some will know, you may not, but Matthew's Gospel really comes in five main sections. It all, each section ends with this phrase, when Jesus had finished saying these things. So 3 to 7, 8 to 10, 11 to 13, 14 to 18, 19 to 25 are the main sections. Each concludes when Jesus had finished saying these things. And this section then, 11 to 13, which we started on last week, it's all about well, opposition to Jesus' kingdom. And alongside that, the certainty that it will grow. And eventually he'll be vindicated, and those who trust in him alongside him. Yet today we come to this, um, really just these last uh, three verses of chapter 11. Uh, Even if you knew very little about Christian faith, you may have heard these verses, because they're quite well known. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, And I will give you rest. Now, many of us are tired. Life is exhausting. Work is exhausting. Children are exhausting. London is exhausting. But living outside it and commuting in, that's even more exhausting. So we're tired a lot of the time. Uh, I read recently that uh, in the UK, we are restless in our sleep. So apparently now, one in ten Britons is, or people living in the UK are reliant on medicine to get to sleep. One in ten. And the article points out, that's not good. That is way out of kilter. I mean, there's a, there's a time and a place for medication, which is entirely useful and beneficial, but 10% of the population requiring chemicals to get to sleep, that's not good. Chemical sleep is not the same as natural sleep. Something's gone a little bit wrong there. Many need to look a bit more at their lifestyle, at the environmental factors. That's not good. And for many of us, there's a bit more, it's not, that's not an issue, but more of a perhaps an itchy feet restlessness. Time to move on. I've been doing the same thing for five years, must chase something else now. You know, just, you know, I need to try the next thing, do the next thing. So there's just restlessness of itchy feet. And then sociologists have started to talk about a new phenomenon, that is the tireds, T-I-R-E-D, tireds. They are, I don't know if this is you, um, some will have gone through it probably, but the tireds are 30-something, independent, radical, educated dropouts. I think the radical is just there to make it work. Um, Tides doesn't do quite as good. But 30-something, independent, radical, educated dropouts, which is a phenomenon now of people who get to their mid to late 30s and then just drop off the career ladder altogether because they're fed up. They're fed up. They're exhausted in their careers. Which, you know, they don't even wait to get to midlife now to have a midlife crisis. Um, we have to have it sooner than that. Can't wait for the midlife crisis. Have to have it in my mid-30s. I'm just impatient to get on with things. Uh, people are tired. And we need, says Jesus, we need rest. Not just a nice holiday, although they're good and uh, always worth having. But something a bit more substantial. When Jesus says here, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What he means by that is salvation. Fundamentally in the Bible, rest is salvation. And satisfaction for our souls. The two are very tightly linked. But salvation, to rest in Jesus Christ, is to be a Christian. To know you've placed your faith in him. 
but as the words of Jesus, as the songs we've just sung express it as well, that's a salvation that brings satisfaction, contentment in our souls. And Jesus says, come, come. He issues this call to, uh, to one and all. So verse 28, come to me all, all you who are weary and burdened. It's a very open invitation. None are excluded. I mean, we did see last time that not all will accept it. If you remember, just in those verses 25 uh, to 27, uh, Jesus said, uh, verse 25, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and learned, revealed them to little children. Uh, and we said last time, Jesus is being sarcastic there. The wise and learned are the proud too proud to admit their needs for him. Children are those who are humble and say, I need help. I need you to save me. So it's an invitation to all, but not all will accept it. But when he says, come, Jesus is saying, come to me, put aside your self-reliance and rest upon me for salvation, satisfaction. Come to me. And I want to look at it a bit like this. Uh, three things. Three things then. First, the exhaustion we feel, the rest that is offered, and the Savior that calls. Those three things. First then, let's look at what he's trying to say. The exhaustion we feel. And there are two elements to this. So verse 28, come to me, all you are, well, two things, weary and burdened. Put aside that yoke and take up my yoke. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? Well, there are two different types of yoke uh, in the New Testament, and none of them is egg-related. The two sort of wooden yokes. You can have a yoke of oxen, so you sort of a double-barreled thing. You know, you have the yoke across one cow's shoulders and one of the other cow's shoulders, and a team would go along together. And the the New Testament uses it in that sense. So 2 Corinthians 6, don't be yoked to someone who isn't a believer in your business transactions. Don't be joined to someone. But here it's the more straightforward meaning of uh, a yoke, you know, the, the, the wooden bar that goes across and you have maybe a bucket of water hanging off each side. It's a thing that helps you carry, but it's heavy. And Jesus says there's two elements to it, really. There's a weariness and being burdened. So they have slightly different sense. So when he says, come, if you're weary, all you who are weary, that is, technically, it's a present, active verb. It's what we do. It is the, um, the toil that exhausts us, the activity, uh, the frenetic things that we do. We're weary because we're constantly busy with stuff. That's our weariness. I guess it is the English idiom would be, we've run out of steam. Come those who've run out of steam because they've just been going flat out for a while. Weary. But burdened is a bit different. Burdened It's a perfect passive verb. It's something that has been landed upon us. At some point in the past, someone has dumped a burden upon you, which you are still carrying. It's not what you do. It's what someone has placed upon you. A picture is of someone who goes goes about their day burdened. So imagine someone goes about with a, a yoke, a wooden bar across their shoulders, and attached to two bags of dry cement. They're heavy. I mean, I've not done a huge amount of manual labor in my life. But, you know, you carry a bag of cement for a little while, you know, I feel worthy and manly. You know, after a little while, that's heavy. 
You have two, one on each shoulder, that's heavy. So you're burdened. Can you imagine trying to go through your day with two bags of cement, one on each shoulder, as you try to pick up the kids at the same time, as you try to wander around the office? I mean, you might be all right at the start of the day, but it would wear you down. It would crush you eventually, that load. Burdened, that's what Jesus is talking about here. In particular, he explains uh, what he means uh, by that elsewhere in Matthew's Gospel. So uh, chapter 23 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 4, he's talking about the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day. And he declares, they, the Pharisees, they tie up heavy loads or burdens, same word as in uh, Matthew 11. They tie up heavy burdens and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. That is, these religious teachers impose lots of rules, an intolerable burden of law upon people, and say, if you want to follow God, if you want to be acceptable to him, you have to keep these 613 laws, all of them. And Jesus, well, that's unreasonable. They don't. Completely unreasonable. Paul has the same issue or same point in Acts chapter 15. The uh, early Christians are meeting at the council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and uh, some are wanting that, um, to impose various Jewish rules upon the Gentiles there. And Paul says, look, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? So there's, a, there's a, I guess the primary sense in which Jesus is speaking here of a burden is the burden that religious teachers put upon people and say, you need to perform these laws. Your life needs to be this good if God is going to accept you. And if it's not, he won't. And Jesus says, that's a ridiculous burden. Paul says, that's an unacceptable burden. Thinking that if, excuse me, thinking that you have to achieve salvation for yourself, that'll crush you if you think that you earn your way to God, if you take it seriously. Uh, back in my university days, uh, I lived with three other guys. Uh, one was a Christian, uh, one was absolutely pagan, and one was, um, well, he was a, a secular Jew when we moved in. The, the, the Jewish guy, a chap called Paul, enormous amount of fun, had the most infectious laughter. If he laughed, no one could stop. Uh, he was a lovely, lovely guy to live with, very considerate, terrific. Uh, one summer, he went off to uh, Israel and came back and decided he needed to be fully orthodox. And at first, it was mildly amusing. You know, the clothes changed, the hair changed. Uh, someone, um, one of his new friends would ring up and would say, Paul, put your bacon butty down, it's the rabbi. And it was quite funny and to us. Um, and, uh, you know, it was amusing. But after a while, he had to move out. He couldn't live with us. Because... Um, well, he couldn't eat any food that we'd cooked. And the kitchen, it was a student kitchen for a start, but that was neither here nor there. More to the point, he needed two sinks and two sets of pans and two sets of storage containers in order to eat in a kosher fashion. And eventually he just withdrew completely from, uh, from everyone he knew at university, pretty much. He left university, went off to New York. He trained, some will understand this, as a Lubavitch uh, rabbi, so Hedo came back to the UK with a very strong belief that how he performed and how he taught other Jews to live would bring the Messiah, obviously still thinking the Messiah was to, uh, to come. 
And he wouldn't meet up with it. Occasionally he'd meet up, but it was like we were spies. There had to be clandestine meetings, and he was always nervous because he didn't want to be seen with anyone from his former life. He'd be rebuked. So what had once been a, very, uh, a man who loved life became absolutely humorless and crushed by the need he had to live such a good life and teach others to lead such a good life in order to bring the Messiah. And only when goodness in the world outweighed badness amongst the Jewish people that was, would the Messiah come. What a pressure. The Messiah will only come if I teach people to be good enough. What a pressure. It crushed him. He was miserable, so as I could see. Very sad. But if you think that salvation will be achieved by you, by your own efforts, well, that is exhausting. It's very exhausting. Look, I take it that isn't the issue for many of us here. Not many of us attempted to go through that sort of training. But there are other burdens. So for some, it could just be the burden of expectations. It's a phrase that gets used often, doesn't it, just in um, secular parlance, or they're burdened by their expectations. The England football manager, Fabio Capello, will comment, uh, when the players play the England football shirt, it's very heavy. He doesn't say that at all, does he? But um, it's very heavy in uh, his thick Italian accents. What does he mean by that? It means that when the players play, they're weighed down. The shirt is heavy. It's not heavy. It's whatever it is. Probably made of gold or something these days, isn't it? But um, that would be heavy. Anyway, some very expensive uh, hybrid material. It's not literally heavy. What he means is that the players are burdened by the pressure to perform, and therefore they don't do very well. They're crushed by expectations upon them. And that burden of expectation can come from all sorts of sources. For some, it'll be, I don't know, parents. A longing, a yearning to emulate their success a consciousness, what they've given up to help you flourish, at the feeling they place upon you that you're never quite good enough. And therefore there's a burden to achieve of expectation placed upon you. I mean, one of the most obvious examples I ever saw was uh, when I was a school teacher. And there was a lovely lad, um, I mean, a terrific guy called Ed, and um, he was able... Uh, and a competent, good pupil, would have done well, flourished at university. Uh, I taught him from, from 16 and 18. I taught him history. And when it came to applying to universities, his, this is dreadful, his grandfather, his father, and his older brother had all gone to Gonville and Keyes College in Cambridge, all of them. And so it was obvious that that was where Ed was going. Apart from, obviously I'd never taught his grandfather or father, I knew his older brother. His older brother was super bright. Ed was competent. He wasn't quite top flight. I remember the parents' evening where I suggested, I'm not sure pushing Ed in that direction is the best thing for him. And my head was just ripped off by these parents. And uh, this boy will achieve. And Ed's there just sort of nodding and, and nodding away. Because his final year at university, the pressure, he wasn't really up for that. He was different from his brother, from his father. And so this weight of pressure upon him, he just, he collapsed in his final year. Utterly flunked his A-levels. I mean, he should have got straight A's, but he flunked them. And spent the next year just bumming around London, drinking. Took a lot of drugs. Because that expectation upon him crushed him. Too much. Just a burden that someone had thrown on his back.
Some of us can go through the whole of life. We can certainly get to the middle of our lives and we're still actually somewhat driven by a burden of parental expectation. Going to prove them wrong. Going to show them. Going to do it. Be parents at all for you. It could be nothing, but we'd be driven by other things, the burdens that other place, others place upon us. It could be our spouse who demands a certain lifestyle, comes from a certain background, and therefore places a burden upon us that we maintain the same sort of thing. It could just be ourselves. We look around at our peers, those we grew up with, or those we knew from university, or those we first entered the profession with, and look around and think, well, I must be as good as them. And we place a burden upon ourselves. It's just there, like a bag of concrete on the shoulders. And we go through life and we think, I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah, there's a burden upon you. Could be that. Burden my expectations. For others, that's neither here nor there. Others may just be the burden of wanting to be in control. Must control things. No expectations as such, just need to control must have X thousand pounds in the bank and then I can control life. Then whatever circumstances come, all will be well. Must get child into that school and then, well, I can control education and everything will go well there. Must, if I can, if I get into the office at 3 a.m., I can control my working environment before anyone comes in and disturbs it and messes it up or even rings me. I can control things then. No, you can't. That's an illusion. To think you can guarantee control, that you can place parameters in every area of your life and shield yourself in a bubble, you can't do that. But if you try, it'll crush you. Because you're, you know, you're, you'll be exa- you'll exhaust yourself trying to do that. You'll exhaust yourself by overworking. Exhaust yourself by micromanaging other people, your children, your spouses, your colleagues at work, you're micromanaging, get involved in all the details, you're wasting your time, wasting their time, but if you can just control everything, of course, ironically, you can go completely the other direction, and you think, must control everything, must con- it all rests upon me, then you say, you do nothing. Because if it all rests upon you, it's just too much, you just get paralyzed by the responsibility and end up doing nothing at all. It's just an illusion to think you can control life. What a burden to place upon yourself. So you see, there are burdens, that loads that are heaped upon us by others, by ourselves. And therefore, in order to try and achieve things, we weary ourselves. That's the burden, the exhaustion we feel. Some of the reasons, yours may be different. That's a bit miserable, isn't it? Let's get more positive. Jesus says, look, there's rest. Verse 28, there's a rest that is offered. Verse 28, when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. What's he saying? He is saying, take one yoke off your shoulders, that of self-reliance. Take the burdens placed upon you that you need to achieve a certain thing. Take that burden off and put my yoke on. Take off your self-reliance and come to me. I'll give, I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. You just need to take it. It's not something you achieve for yourself. 
Salvation is not something you achieve for yourself. Satisfaction, you can't achieve it for yourself. You just need to receive it. It's a gift. Come to me and I will give it to you. That's this thing that, uh, the thing that my friend Paul could never grasp. So we did have some conversations. I mean, he was fully trained as a rabbi. And, you know, we talked these things through. I said, you do understand the difference in the Christian faith. Jesus Christ says it's done. I give you salvation. You don't need to achieve anything for him. He could never, I mean, he's a super bright guy, but he could never, just never compute it for him, that someone would give him such a thing. Jesus says, receive as a gift. Let Jesus remove the burden of self-reliance, the burden of trying to achieve. Let him give you rest. A few months ago, I, uh, I wanted to buy a big bit of wood in order to um, uh, block up a door in our house. Very drafty. I wanted to block it up. And uh, there's a timber merchant just about five minutes away. So I went to the timber merchants. Their saw, circular saw, was broken. So all I could do was buy this fairly substantial, about nine foot by five foot uh, bit of uh, plywood, was what I required. You know, about three quarters of an inch thick. That would do the job perfectly. And um, it was too big to go in the car. Wouldn't quite fit. Tried strapping it onto the roof. That was wobbly. I thought, well, it's only a five-minute walk. A five-minute walk. Okay, it's heavy, but... You know, I'll just walk it. You know, the guys at the shop said, where are you going with that? Well, I only live five minutes away. Yeah, you can't carry that. Yeah, it's only five minutes. No, you're an idiot. Off you go. And um, so I try, you know, sort of half dragging. That didn't matter. Half dragging, half carrying this thing. A five-minute walk. After about half an hour, I'd got about a quarter of the distance. You know, you walk, walk about 50 metres and then... And then sort of drag it a bit. And going in the opposite direction were various people who, some smiled politely, some smiled amused, some smiled jeeringly, um, going in the other direction. You know, about an hour, and I'd gone about two-thirds of the way. And eventually this guy comes up and said, we'd like a hand with that. Yeah. Yeah. If he'd asked me an hour ago, I'd probably been too proud. But right now, I'm exhausted. And so the two of us carrying it, well, it only took us about 15 minutes uh, with a few rests. But Jesus says, look, come to me and I'll take the whole thing. I'm not just going to help you carry a burden. I'm going to remove your burdens off you and give you a different way of living. Come to me. Don't think you can earn your salvation. Don't think you can achieve your meaning without reference to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I'll give you both salvation... And the more you embrace me, satisfaction as well. Now, look, this is not perfect yet. If you look at uh, the concept of rest throughout the rest of the scriptures, yes, it's salvation. But ultimately, rest is to be found beyond this world. So there is a rest here and now. There is salvation here and now. But ultimately, rest is found in the next life. Just... Um, Indulge me. Could you just flick on a few pages to Hebrews chapter 4? It's on page 1203. Hebrews chapter 4. It's quite a long argument, and we won't look at it in detail by any stretch. But the writer to the book of Hebrews, page 1203, he's comparing God's people in the past, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, with Christian believers today. That's a fairly tricky passage. He's, he references a whole number of time, times and periods in history. But um, let me just uh, point you to a few verses. So verse 8, 
In verse 8, he's talking about a time when Joshua was the leader of God's people, and they're in the promised land of Canaan. God had said, when you're in that land, the promised land of Canaan, I will give you rest. Is I will bless you, and you will know contentment. But, let me just read uh, verse 8. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In the Old Testament, God's people were in the promised land. But Joshua said, this isn't really it. There's another place in the future where you'll truly know rest. And the writer here says to Christians, yeah, you can know rest now. You can know salvation now. And yet, verse 9, there does remain a Sabbath rest in the future. Verse 10, anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. You can become a Christian now, obviously, and you can rest from your self-reliance. You can put aside your burdens now. And yet, verse 11, therefore let us make every effort to enter that rest in the future so that no one will fall by following their example. Okay, it's a complicated little passage. But in essence, he says, if you're a Christian, you, you know salvation now. And you know somewhat of satisfaction in Jesus Christ now. But it's not perfect. Don't expect it to be. There'll still be exhaustion. You'll still live with burdens upon you because we're silly and we're sinful. Then, only in the future then will you know perfect rest, the consummation of salvation, and a true 100% depth of satisfaction. In the meantime, verse 11, we'll make every effort to lean upon Jesus Christ. Trust his labors, not your own. Enjoy him now. But accept it's not quite perfect. Okay? So there's exhaustion we feel. There's a rest that is offered here and now. Salvation, if you come to Jesus Christ, put aside your attempts to achieve it and just receive it from him. Only consummated in the future. The last thing, let's turn back to Matthew 11. The last thing, let's just look briefly at the Saviour that calls. So he says, come to me, take off your yoke, your burdens that wear you down. But verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus says, yeah, take your burdens off you to achieve salvation, to achieve meaning. Take those burdens off you. But I'm going to put something else upon you. It would be easy at that point to think, well, brilliant. So I take one load off, and so I swap that brand of cement for another brand of cement. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, that doesn't do me much good. It's not that. Of course, it's very different from that. Now, if you read any of Matthew's Gospel, if you read just chapters 5 to 7 in particular, the Sermon on the Mount, oh, he's demanding. Jesus is very demanding. I mean, he'll say in chapter 7, be perfect as your Father is perfect. That's quite a high standard to try and hit. Um, but it's, he's not saying do it on your own. Jesus has come to me and rest and know that you are saved. Know that you have received salvation from me. Now, when that contentment, when that satisfaction fills your soul, now go out and work. Rest. 
and then go to work. Rest and then go and try and achieve. Rest upon me and what I've done for you. Oh, and then go and try and be perfect. You'll fail, but go and try. But rest upon me first. It is completely different. Either, there are two yokes, aren't there, essentially, here in this passage. Either you live under the burden of achievement, or you live with the relief of coming under Jesus Christ as a gentle saviour. But that is your choice. You try, you live with a burden of achievement, or you live with a yoke of relief that Jesus is a gentle saviour, and he'll teach you and train you to live differently. Or to put it in one sense even more starkly in the language of Monday morning, tomorrow, either you start your day satisfied in Jesus Christ, resting in him and trusting in his provision, or you start your day anxious, and you care for the children, or you go into the office fearful, because it all rests upon you. And if you don't perform tomorrow, disaster comes. You have a choice, says Jesus. And if you're a Christian here today, you can foolishly mix up the choices. You can say, yeah, I rest upon Jesus for my salvation, but tomorrow when I go to work, I'm not resting upon him. It's all about me. All about me tomorrow. We can do that. We're capable of being schizophrenic in that sense. But Jesus says, rest upon me. Rest in him. He's gentle. He's humble. Matthew, more than any of the authors, excuse me, many of the gospel authors, reveals encounters of Jesus engaging with children. Read them in chapter 18, chapter 19 in particular. Read those encounters. He's very gentle. He's very humble. He's not intimidating. So when you fail... You know, if you've trusted in him, if you've uh, placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your, for your salvation, you'll fail. We'll all fail as Christians. But when you do so, turn back to him and look to him, and he'll still be smiling and gentle and humble. And he'll still say again, yes, I know. But come. Come back. Come. Come to me. Hear him say again, come. I hadn't realized quite this until this week. How common an invitation that is in the scriptures. I and mean, we had read that beautiful Isaiah 55, come, come. In Matthew's gospel, it's the most common way he records Jesus saying, inviting people to become Christians, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come. Or in Matthew 22, the, uh, the parable of the great banquet, Jesus says, in the parable, tell those who've been invited, I've prepared my dinner, oxen and cattle have ready, come, come to my wedding banquet. Or in chapter 25, the parable in the sheep and goats, the king says, come, those who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, come, come to me. It's the constant invitation of Jesus Christ, come to me. To me, So it's no good coming to a doctrine. It's no good coming to a set of concepts and think, yes, I believe those ten Christian truths. Jesus says, no, come to me for salvation, but also for, if you want rest for your souls, you need to keep coming to me. You come once and say, my faith is in you, but repeatedly, day by day, come to me. If you want satisfaction for your souls, says Jesus, you need to listen to me. You need to speak to me. 
You need to relate to me. Because it's not ideas, but I will give you rest. Come to me, says Jesus. I will give you rest. Rest that is salvation, rest that is satisfaction, rest that is for your souls. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Father, you know our hearts individually, and therefore whether we are those who are burdened and anxious with our lives, or those who are resting in Jesus Christ. And so we pray that um, if we're still wrestling whether these things are true or not, you would uh, reveal to us uh, the truth of the claims of Jesus Christ and see salvation as a gift to be received rather than something to be achieved. For those of us who are Christians, that practically, functionally, we wouldn't live our lives fueled by fear and anxiety that all rests in our own hands. But we would go to work tomorrow, whatever that may be, resting in the confident provision of Jesus Christ. So we would indeed know rest for our souls, which honours you above all else. Amen.